Okay, Jim, here's a quick overview of today's episode. Okay. We're going to do PFAS part three, Forever Chemicals, Return of the Forever Chemicals. Dang, it's a three-parter. It's a trilogy so far. <laughs> it's going to be, a, is, what's the word for a fort? Quadrilogy? I think so. Or sometimes people say saga at that point. It's a saga. Ah. It's a saga. And we're going to talk about today, really, what can we do now as the consumers, if anything? And okay. we're going to hear about, so what we as consumers can do we're going to read a write-in from a chemist who actually works with PFAS. And finally, you'll get a little chemistry lesson about how PFAS filtering technology works. Okay. Sounds good. So that's a quick overview. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. All right. Hey, I'm Melissa. I'm Jam. And I'm a chemist. And I'm not. And welcome to Chemistry for Your Life. The podcast helps you understand the chemistry of your everyday life. And if it's one of your first times joining us, Melissa truly is a chemist. She just said she's a chemist and she really is. She has a bachelor's, master's, and a PhD. (laughs) All the degrees. Yeah. That's about as chemist as you can get. I am truly not a chemist. I'm a person, just a regular old person that is interested in science. And Melissa teaches me some chemistry every week. And I learn along with you guys. That's true. And not only is Jam a regular old person, but he also takes care of all of the audio quality and the visual things that happen. So he is really the reason that this podcast is broadcasting into your ears right now. So thanks for that, Jam. So if you have complaints about that, don't blame Melissa. <laughs> I mean, we're a team. You can blame us together. <laughs> okay, so if you haven't already listened, this is a part of a saga. So please go back and listen to our first two parts of the series on PFAS. So the first part is sort of what are they? Are they dangerous? And a little bit about, you know, what do I think about them? And then the second part is how did we even get here? Mm. So I was hoping that today we could talk about two levels of what should we do now? And one of those would be the individual level and then the broader scope of what's happening, like what technology chemists are inventing, what, what industry is using, the big picture stuff. But actually they're was enough information that I felt like it would be better in two smaller bites instead of one big episode. So this is going to be part three of four. Okay, got it. So we're not going anywhere yet. And (laughs) I think I'm going to do a Q&A episode. Oh, well, this might not come out before that. This one will. This one will come out before we record it. So I want to do a Q&A episode, a special one that focuses just on PFAS. Oh, I see, yeah. I'll um, post that on our Instagram and um, you can send us a message and be looking out because I think a lot of people have reached out to us since we started this series. So, okay. And you can be getting ready for that as well. So first let's start on the individual level, what we as consumers can do. And sadly, the answer to this question is not a lot. Dang it. I know. (laughs) And it sucks because it's not really our fault, right? Like we didn't invent forever chemicals quote unquote, forever chemicals, nor did we know how dangerous they were when they started to be incorporated into everything. Even I feel like until recently, they weren't talked about very much. Yeah, totally. And so it wasn't really our fault, but it is sort of our problem now that we have to deal with. And what is also hard, and I sort of alluded to this on the very first episode we did, is that people with more resources that's all kinds of resources. So mental capacity, emotional capacity, you know, like a person without kids going to have more mental energy probably than a person with kids or, um, financial resources, just 
time resources, you know, all these things that some people are going to have access to and other people aren't. Mm-hmm. Um, that also makes it to where some people can do more than others. And that's not super fair. Yeah. So a big concept I want to get across is it's, I'm going to share some things that I think individuals can do. But the bigger, more important thing is that we hold industries to account. Mm. Because really, if we could stop the use of PFAS in fast food, or if we could stop the use of PFAS in, you know, areas that are going to contaminate our drinking water, or if we require that they destroy any PFAS they put into the environment for products that are made or things like that, then I think everyone could avoid them, which is ultimately the goal. Right. So I'm trying to give people information to equip them knowing that it's really not enough. And really we should have a broader conversation where we're calling industry to accountability. Right. 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 And the chemist who did it, which we did talk a little bit about how there was a lawsuit where some of the chem- the chemical companies that originated PFAS are doing some stuff to help treat waterways. But And next week we'll talk more about what some of those things are, but I did want to give a few things that you can possibly do if you have the resources. Okay. One, you can reduce eating fast food restaurants as much as possible. I know some places that's the easiest, cheapest access to food, but if it's possible, you can reduce your eating of fast food. And there was a study that looked at some of the, um, fast food companies that were some of the worst. So maybe you could even just choose one that's going to have less PFAS in their wrappers. Mm. Although I did. So McDonald's is one of those. And they did say that they were working towards eliminating PFAS, but who knows if that's really true. (laughs) Yeah, that's tough. But at least what's, what's nice is that McDonald's has the ability to do it. Like you could argue some, some restaurants or some chains, it's like, they're so big. They've got, they've got the money. They've got to be able to know how Mm -hmm. to do this. And they could, put some money into R and D if they want to come up with some other different type of wrapper that works well before they roll it out. But like they got rid of styrofoam only a few years ago. Yeah. And they're just like, they did it. They just yeah, did it. They just did it. They didn't like obviously replace it with something super awesome, mm-hmm. but it's not styrofoam. It could be also those cups very likely. I feel like have a PFAS coating on them. Maybe, Maybe so. it's just wax, but cause it doesn't soak through that cardboard, you know? Yeah, that's probably true. It could be wax, but who knows? They also and- just use the clear plastic ones too. Oh yeah. That's what they use for their, their big ones. But yeah, it's like they can do that. They can make these changes Mm -hmm. and their system allows for it. So they should start the trend. And they could take a hit on the bottom line. Like if you just need to do two pieces of just parchment paper that, or some kind of paper that doesn't have PFAS coating on it, Mm -hmm. then do it. You can take the bottom line because grease won't soak through that fast. Yeah. Yep. So that's a, that's true. And it wasn't any of our biggest complaints about McDonald's. Like none of us were like, Oh, the, Paper wrapping. Like <laughs> yeah. think about back in like the seventies or eighties when they were there wrapping it and whatever they used then that yeah. maybe maybe didn't have PFAS yet. Yeah. If it was just like regular craft paper or something mm-hmm. like that. It's like, was anyone like, man, why can't they have some sort of sophisticated coating on this I paper? Know. You know? But I think we're all fine with it. So And the other thing similar to that is actually uh popcorn bags have have a similar coating. Uh huh. And Jam and I have talked about you can make popcorn on the stove with kernels and we like it better. Mm-hmm. It's very cheap. Mm-hmm. Like not like just buying kernels is like so it's cheap. It's so cheap. Lasts you forever. So there's no real barrier to that other than just the skill to get to learn a little bit. Yeah. And time. Com- time. Yeah. I guess that's true. Definitely time. And then uh, 
Additionally, I had one, if the time's the problem, a microwave silicone popcorn bowl that you can use kernels in as that's well. That's right. There you go. So that's a little more finances, less time. Yep. You can also look into your local water regulation body. So whatever government or is in charge of your water regulation and see if they test for PFAS and if there are any regulations. And if not, there are technologies that you as an individual person can use, mm. but you're, you might already have something with your water that, that is in place and that's positive. Oh, I forgot to say before I said all this, I should have said there are studies that indicate that if you have PFAS in contact with your skin, so like if you're showering and it's contaminated water or if your clothes, like we talked about, has some period underwear, some raincoats, they have PFAS on it. It seems like there's less transfer of PFAS through your skin. It's primarily ingested sources that you should avoid. So that's why I'm focusing on that. Here. Got it. Okay. Makes sense. So it, avoid ingesting wherever possible. So the fast food wrappers, the popcorn lined bags, mm -hmm. um, and then- if you can look into your water regulation and at the end, your little chemistry lesson, that's going to focus on the filtration technology. Okay. Got it. Another one is just like PFAS can accumulate in our bodies, they can also accumulate in the bodies of the things that we eat, especially fish, mm. because they live in water. Right. And so you can look and see where your fish comes from. And there is a list provided by the EPA of where some of that fish that's going to be more highly concentrated PFAS that hopefully we would avoid would come from. Mm. Although again, if you have the capacity and the resources to do that is the thing. Right. Like I'm thinking about sometimes you just get like the fish equivalent of dino nuggets. Mm -hmm. I doubt that they'll say where those fish come totally. from. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and then this one I think is really important and actually we're already starting to see change is that governments can put regulations in place. Mm -hmm. And so you can give input and vote for lawmakers that are going to be committed to making changes and improving regulations. So as of just the last year, the EPA has made restrictions that um, make it tighter, smaller amounts of the primary two PFAS. And then other PFAS are starting to be regulated for the first time. I think mm. one thing I read said there's more than 8,000 kinds, but some are going to be a lot more prevalent in the environment than the others. So they're focusing on focusing on regulating those. Mm -hmm. So that's really good progress. And the EPA has a great website and we're going to link it below where it goes through or in our show notes or on our website, on our YouTube show notes. Um, it has a great website that goes through meaningful steps that you can take, including how you can comment on federal regulations and have your voice heard. So it talks about the things that you can avoid. A lot of the stuff that I mentioned already, but also gives like specific resources for you to go and have your voice heard so that you can, you know, share what you've learned about PFAS that you want to minimize how that is in our environment as much as possible. So check that out because I think that's going to be the thing that we as individuals can do that will actually make the most meaningful change for everyone. Right. You know, I think those are the, com those are the, that's the level at which companies will be held accountable and that they'll be called to find alternatives that are actually safe. Yeah. Right. So that's what we can do as consumers. But the one thing that I didn't go in detail on is the filtration. Mm. So this is literally something we can do to get PFAS out of our water. Nice. So the thing about this is we can filter PFAS out of our water, but we usually need something to filter it with. 
and that thing will still have the PFAS in it. Mm-hmm. So it's not ideal for widespread contamination, but it is good for individuals in their homes. So I'm going to share a little bit about this, knowing that next week we're going to talk about now what can we actually do to get rid of them now that they're not in our water anymore. Okay. Okay. And I got an email from a listener who is a chemist who works with PFAS about filtration and elimination and what his experience has been like. So I'm going to read that. Okay. Nice. So this is, this is so fun. I was so excited <laughs> when I got this email. <laughs> he said, Hey, Melissa and Jam, I listened to the most recent episode, uh, put, sorry, to the most recent podcast about PFAS on my way home. I found it very interesting because I am an environmental scientist and work with PFAS to a limited extent since I started my current role. My general role primarily works with identifying and monitoring groundwater contamination. So groundwater contamination, as an aside, typically comes from either manufacturing or landfills where PFAS, you know, gets into the ground and then seeps into our waterways. Right. Um, groundwater contamination. Let's see if I lost my spot. Uh, here. My experience with PFAS has mostly included environmental sampling and occasional discussions with more experienced coworkers. With that said, mostly the data available is on the EPA's website. I think it might be worth looking into some references that are more environmentally focused than purely chemistry. So that is what I did this time is look more at the EPA's website. Mm. He said, it's a very common problem and hot topic in the world of environmental policy and remediation. One thing I found interesting is that in my unlimited experience, most chemicals are tested at the parts per million, while PFAS are typically tested at the parts per trillion. Mm. And the EPA has also proposed even tighter standards than what was prior for drinking water. So he shared two links that we're going to include in our share notes, er, in our show notes that we'll talk about as well. And then he went on to say, and with regards to your comment about being unsure how to treat drinking water, there's actually multiple ways to immobilize the PFAS. The issue is destroying it. In my work, most clients want the PFAS destroyed. But for consumers, immobilizing it out of our drinking water is better than drinking it and letting it get into our systems in the first place. Right. That unfortunately means the PFAS is still out there and might get into landfills. Here's a link from the EPA that talks about ways for consumers to potentially handle the PFAS in their drinking water. A helpful article, a very helpful article before looking it up. I've heard professionally that granular activated carbon was very good at sequestering the PFAS, but it was not the outcome people are looking for because they want it to be completely destroyed. Yeah. Yeah. So then he goes on to say thanks for reading and that he enjoys the podcast, which is really nice. So thank you so much for that email. Will. we really appreciate it. Yeah, that's super cool. That's like, how perfect is that? I know. <laughs> it's like, it's similar to the feeling when we like read about a scientist's work on the mosquito episode yes, and they emailed yes. us. I was like, wow, someone who actually yeah. works with this. And then also um, one of our listeners, Chelsea, works with PFAS as well. And then I have a friend who works more on the environmental side and also reached out to me about PFAS. So I'm probably going to share some of those things in the Q&A episode about PFAS. Okay. The PFAS Roundup Q&A episode. Nice. <laughs> um, but so he talked about in that episode that the current standard commonly recommended thing for filtering PFAS or mobilizing PFAS in our water is granulated activated carbon. Okay. So we're going to talk about what that is. Okay. This is your chemistry lesson. All right. Do you know anything about granulated activated carbon? I feel like I 
am aware that that's used in filtration. We have like a water filter in our fridge, and so I have to buy new versions of that. And I feel like I see that as like a commonly included part of water filtration. But I don't know why. Okay. Well, I'll tell you why. So the thing that granulated activated carbon is good at getting is nonpolar water molecules. So here's your chemistry lesson. It is a little bit of a review. So we've talked before about this more in depth. If you want to go listen to the very first episode, I think is the first time we talked about this, but mm-hmm. we've talked about polar and nonpolar molecules. Right. And a good way to envision this is each atom in every molecule has sort of a cloud of electrons around it. And for some reason, a way I was envisioning it this week while I was, you know, sort of um, trying to describe it and think about how to describe it for you is if you spray with a um, spray paint can, you Uh know how there can be like evenly dispersed dots all around Uh of paint. Or sometimes you can maybe not have a quite even spray and part of it will be more more spray paint in one area and less spray paint in another. Uh-huh. So most atoms have, you know, a, a dispersion of electrons around them. But when they get into molecules and they interact with other atoms, that spray of electrons might not be evenly distributed. Mm. So just like with spray paint, you can possibly have a perfectly even stroke where there's even amounts of paint everywhere, or one part can have more dense paint coverage than another. Mm -hmm. That's how molecules are too. Got it. So you can have a molecule with even distribution of electrons all around it. And so it doesn't have any high concentration or low concentration areas of electrons. It's just evenly dispersed. Mm -hmm. And so it doesn't have any areas where it might be negative or positive because electrons are negative. It's all equally dispersed around. Right, got it. Now, on the flip side, if atoms get together and one maybe has a stronger ability to pull electrons or different things can come into play if it's not symmetrical, you can have areas where there's more electron density. So like a higher concentration of spray paint in one area. And in that case, if the electrons are concentrated in one area, that area is going to be more negative because electrons are negative. In the area that it's abandoned, (laughs) it will be more positive So that causes there to be a strongly negative part and a strongly positive part. And so if you can get a molecule like that around another molecule like that, the negative part of one will interact with the positive part of another and they'll be drawn closely together. So those with the negative and positive parts, those are called polar molecules. Right. And then there are the other kind where it's evenly dispersed are called nonpolar molecules. Right. So polar molecules can easily interact with each other and nonpolar molecules can easily interact with each other, but they don't easily interact with across polarities. Right. So we talked about that a lot on the soap episode that we did for the very first one. Also, a lot of people have seen this in oil and water, Mm -hmm. right? Water Mm -hmm. and oil don't mix because water is polar. It has a negative part and a positive part until it wants to interact with other water molecules Oil is mostly nonpolar, so it's just going to mostly interact with other oil molecules, and so they don't like to interact with each other. Right, right. Okay, so in this case, PFAS are mostly nonpolar. They usually have a a small part at one end that's polar, and the rest of it is nonpolar. Okay. So because of that, if you have that PFAS in water, that polar end might be interacting with the water, But a lot of the rest of the molecule not really being polar, it's not really super happy in the water. So if you can pass the water through a nonpolar 
filter of some kind, mm-hmm. the, the PFAS will likely be happier in the nonpolar area. Right. Okay. Okay. So now <clears throat> granulated activated carbon is not polar. Okay. It's just a bunch of carbon atoms. So they're all equally pulling on their electrons because they're all the same atom. And they have a, they form a network of atoms that have a lot of pores in it. So, and some of those are like visible to the eye. If you, maybe you've seen activated charcoal or activated carbon. Sometimes it can be in like sort of chunks, you know, and Mm -hmm. you can see divots in the surface. Sometimes you can't see that because it's at the molecular level, but either way, it has a lot of pores. So when water passes by, there's a lot of surface area and a lot of chances for any organic contaminants, so carbon-based contaminants that are primarily not polar, to interact with the activated carbon and not come out of the activated carbon. Got it. Okay. And that's essentially how activated carbon can filter PFAS and other organic nonpolar contaminants out of water. Okay. So, and it works really well. Wow. If you have the right size of PFAS and it's a relatively new um, activated carbon and there's a good amount compared to the amount of water that's passing through it, it can have up to 100% filtration. Wow. Dang. Yes. So it's really good. And we have one of those filters. So I was like, yes. Nice. (laughs) But there are issues with it. Yeah. So I said that. PFAS are mostly nonpolar. Mm-hmm. So there's one end that's polar, but that long chain overpowers it. You know, that's the primary thing that's going on. Yep. If that long chain is actually a short chain, uh, instead of it being like one twentieth of the molecule is polar or one tenth of the molecule is polar, it could be like one half of the molecule is polar. Right. Shorter chain PFAS are harder to filter out with activated carbon. Right, right. So that's one thing. Okay. Another thing is that it does have to get regularly replaced because even though there's a high surface area, at some point there's not going to be anywhere else for things to stick to it. Yeah. And then the last part, the part that we're going to talk about next time is that, again, they're not destroyed. Mm -hmm. So when you take out that filter, and I'm assuming you throw your filter in the trash. Yeah. It goes to a landfill. Chance of it just reentering the system. Yep. Okay. So uh, hence the problem with forever chemicals. Right. So that's the issue that we're going to talk about next time is now how do we actually get rid of them? And spoiler alert, there are ways to actually get rid of it. Okay. And lots of people are working on that, but it's too much for this episode. <laughs> yeah, 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 that'd be a lot. <laughs> so that's your quick chemistry lesson. Okay. Do you want to take a stab at explaining it back to me? Yes, I would love to. So we've got polar molecules and nonpolar molecules. Mm-hmm. Polar means heavy concentration of electrons, negativity on one side, mm-hmm. which means positivity on the other side. Mm-hmm. Nonpolar, evenly distributed. So um, no strong poles, no strong negativity or positivity on one side or the other. Um, we've talked about that like magnets and we've used a few different analogies to like describe the polarity side before or whatever. Um, and the nice thing about PFAS, if it's a long enough molecule, is that a really good amount of that molecule is going to be nonpolar. Mm-hmm. And just a tiny little part is polar. Mm-hmm. 
And so if we could create sort of like, almost like it's a fish and we can put a bunch of nets in the way (laughs) Mm -hmm. for the big fish, Mm -hmm. way easier for those nets to have a chance of catching it. Yes. So say you put like something the fish wants to get to on one side, bunch of nets on the other side. It's high likelihood that it's going to get caught somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. But for those smaller molecules of PFAS, which have a smaller um, nonpolar part to them, they might just be able to slip right on through and not really get caught in the net somehow. Yeah. Um, That doesn't speak to like the like, like, likes like thing as much, but the filtering part, I guess, or the catching it or whatever. Yeah. And so it works great. Carbon being nonpolar is great at capturing and holding on to the nonpolar part of this larger PFAS because they just want to be together. Yeah. You know, they just want to be, I think sometimes we've talked about nonpolar and polarity is like friends, you know, yeah. <laughs> like friend groups, like you want to be with your friends, you yeah. know, um, or something like that. But or like people who are, I thought of it as like people who are really active and they're like, you know, they're like up running around. And then there's people who it's like, I just mostly want to watch a movie. Yes. Yes. So the PFAS like, I just mostly want to watch a movie. I'm not trying to get into too much. And it passes through like your options are to go for a 5k or to sit on the couch with me. Yeah. PFAS like I'm sitting on the couch. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you just have to offer it the cap. I just want to chill. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so in that specific case, it works great. But when we have the smaller PFAS, a different form of filtration would have to be employed or destroying it. Yes. But at least in the in the case of like the polar nonpolar, that won't work because even if you try to do like a polar filtration on the smaller molecules, it's like too equal. It's like mm-hmm. 50-50 or something like that where maybe that's not the route yes. to be able to capture and keep them at bay. Um, anything I missed in that? No, I thought that was really good. Okay. And there are some other filtration technologies, but they do have similar problems. And I thought these were the most common, easily available that you can get in filtration systems in your fridge, in your individual pitchers. That's what we have. Mm-hmm. Um, you do have to be able to replace them regularly. And again, they're not perfect, but they're a good tool for us to use short term while we call our communities to action. Got it. So yeah, that's a little bit about PFAS. Nice. I am surprised at how much this has turned into a saga. It's like yeah. the summer of 2023 is defined by PFAS. Yeah. Did we add to the list or did you not include it? Maybe because it's not, maybe it's not quite as up there. Just our favorite um, topic of cookware choice. Or is so, that not one of the main pe- ways people ingest? Because it, it, is, it was actually on some lists I looked at, but not the EPA list. So I didn't include it. But yes, that is one. And also people talk about not using plastic as well. You know, p- plastic could have some PFAS or some kind of bad things leaching into your stuff anyway. But we've already yeah. talked about yeah. those okay, pretty yeah. extensively. So. Yeah, they've had their own series already. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I focused on some new information. Wherever you can, avoid plastic for silicone and glass. That's great. And wherever you can, avoid Teflon pans for cast iron pans. That's great, too. And those can be affordable if you have the ability to get to, like, a thrift store or something. A lot of times there are cast iron pans that have just been abandoned at thrift stores. Yeah. And even, like, I mean, obviously buying some of those used ones are great and they have so much life left. But even new ones, some of the brands that are making new ones, it's not expensive. It's crazy. Like, there are some nice brands that are tra- trading a bunch ones, but yeah. like the most common ones are like yeah it's like 20 bucks for this pan yeah 
which is like, oh, if it's going to last forever, that's a pretty good buy. But if you can get a five buck one at the, at the, the thrift store, yeah, at the thrift store, it's like, that's amazing. And sometimes they're already nice and smoothed out. Mm-hmm. You know, Mason has one that he got from his grandma that's like glass. Nice. It's so nice. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and my brother-in-law has a lot of inherited ones too. So that's cool. All right, great. Well, that's all I have for your chemistry lesson today, but I did want to ask if you have any fun, happy things this week. I do have a fun, happy thing from this week. So we were able to, my family and I, my side of the family, um, I've got my older brother and my mom live in Abilene, which is not that far away, like three Mm -hmm. hours. And then my younger brother, sister-in-law and their kids live in Kentucky. And so all of us getting together is a little bit hard to pull off, but we were able to in somewhat record time from the idea being presented to the actual like plan and execution, all that stuff, pull off a hangout where we all got to be in the same place for about like four, four days. Amazing. And it was so great. Kids got to play. We had to catch up. It was a little chaotic. Four kids and um, six adults yeah. and, <laughs> you know, just a little crazy, but it was really fun. So we did that last week. And how many dogs? Zero dogs. Oh, really? Yep, zero dogs. That does make it a little less chaotic. Yeah, a little less chaos for sure. <clears throat> but yeah, that was a lot of fun. We got to eat good food and cook and hang out and What was your favorite sweets. food that you ate? Ooh, okay. Here's the favorite thing. Not like, it's not maybe the best thing we ate, but one of the most interesting things that happened is the oven broke a family member's uh, lake house that we were using. And while we were there, the oven broke and... um we had a few things we'd bought that we wanted to make sure we used that, that wouldn't be good for super long or that we'd already like cracked into. So we had mm-hmm. to finish it or whatever. So we got creative and my older brother and I used the waffle iron there for <laughs> some things that you might not traditionally use it for. For instance, we made waffle iron brownies. Nice. And get Okay, this. actually, but those were really good. Very good because they get like, I mean, obviously you, you like gooey brownies, but mm-hmm. if you're going to combine it with like ice cream, if you yeah. get it a little crispy... Yeah. It's actually pretty great. So we did that. Worked great. Wow. And then the next thing we did, we were like, let's not stop here. You know, our confidence level is so high. We did um, waffle iron cinnamon rolls. We had a can of cinnamon rolls and oh my God. put like the waffle iron, it's like a, had four sections in uh-huh. it, you know, like a, it was like a round one, but each, yeah, four sections in there. We put one of those little cinnamon rolls in each section. Yeah. Pressed it down. It worked amazing. <laughs> And they were ready so fast too. Listen, necessity, the mother of invention. And now I, I bet you're like, I could really go for some waffle iron brownies yep. on yep. this ice cream. And what was great about it with like both of those things, it's like you get the benefit of the structure of the waffle, which is that it has little traps for mm-hmm. ice cream or in the case of the cinnamon rolls, the cream cheese, the cream cheese icing stuff. Yeah. It keeps it. And then you can still hold it and eat it. Well, it's got good structure to it. Amazing. I like, bet that was amazing. Yeah. And it works great. I just can't believe I've never even thought to try that. So Wow. Yep. That is a fun story. Thanks for sharing that with me. So that was my week. That was a fun thing. A few fun things all rolled into one. But what about you? Um. Well, okay. So I actually have show and tell. Ah. Hold, please, while I get some stuff out of my bag. Okay. So this is actually a gift that I got from someone. Did I leave it in here? Okay. So this is a gift that I got from um, a friend of mine, actually a friend of the show, friend of yours in real life, and who supports chemistry for your life, Abby. Mm-hmm. We have celebrated Christmas in July together for 
I think it's 12 years is what we figured out. Nice. Since she got married in 2012 is the first time we celebrated. She got married earlier that year and we celebrated so that we could still have time together because we were roommates before that, you know? Nice. And the thing about Christmas in July is no family is trying to get that holiday Mm -hmm. is there's no competition. Mm -hmm. Nobody celebrates that. Yep. And sometimes we can't actually do it in July, you know, but... One thing she said one year is my mom says Christmas is when we're together. So <laughs> yeah, Christmas in July is when we're together and we just celebrated and she got me two really good gifts, but I was really excited about this one for the show. So uh-huh. this is the periodic table of elements, magnetic learning activity. Oh, nice. And I thought it was just magnets for the fridge. No, if you open it, it has little individual magnets uh-huh. and I haven't taken them all out yet. And they magnetize onto a periodic table in the box. Ah, I see. And they're grouped together like different metals, uh, like, okay, so metalloids, metals, noble gases, halogens, non-metals, all these things are color, grouped color by coded, color. Yeah. And they have little uses for different items on there. And some of them, I don't know what uh-huh. that use is for. So like silicon, which we just did a whole episode on for some reason is on, um, this teacup. And I was like, what, what is like, is silicone used in making like tea saucers in the paint or what? Uh-huh. Or is it maybe in the glaze? And so, ah. so there's lots of little uses that I'm already excited to look up. So yeah. like, see this one silicone. I don't know how much you can see on there, but and it has That's a cool. little tea cups and saucer. And then there's um, phosphorus for toothpaste, which I have a suspicion about that. I looked something up about that recently. There's some I do know, like helium has balloons, obviously, and carbon has diamonds. But there's others that I'm like, I genuinely do not know why this picture is on here. Yeah. And I got to go figure it out. Dang, that's really cool. What a so, cool gift. I know. I'm really excited. And I thought our listeners would be excited too. Yeah. So. That's awesome. And I can't wait for if I ever get to be a lecturer or a teacher again to have it in my office and let students look through it. Yeah, that's cool. So thanks, Abby, and also podcast listeners. I thought it was really sweet and special and great to get to spend time with her, but also this gift was so cool that I just wanted to tell you all about it. That's awesome. Thanks. So yay, yay chemistry, you know what I'm saying? Amen. <laughs> she also got me a really cute book called Goodnight Lab, which is like fashioned after Goodnight Moon. Nice. I've read that book countless times, 100 oh, do times. Do you have it? Oh, yeah. Good Night Moon. Sorry. Oh. The reference one that you're Goodnight saying. Lab we have. And immediately when you said Good Night Lab, I was like, that's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be based on, yeah. It was very good and very funny. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Jam, for, um, you know, letting me blather on and on about PFAS and share with our listeners. Well, thank you for teaching us. Thank you for being willing to enter into the topic into four parts, a lot of research, a lot of things to go into. So thanks mm-hmm. for doing that. If you have a question or an idea or a topic or suggestions like that, you can reach out to us. We love y'all's questions and ideas. Reach out to us on our website at chemforyourlife.com. That's chem, F-O-R, yourlife.com to share your thoughts, ideas, or questions. If you'd like to help us keep our show going and contribute to cover the cost of making it, you can go to patreon.com slash chemforyourlife to join our super cool community, community of patrons. (laughs) You can also tap the link in our show notes or uh, tap the link in the description of the video. Uh, But if you're not able to do that, you can help us by subscribing on your favorite podcast app and rating and writing review on Apple Podcasts. Also subscribing on our YouTube channel. Those things help us to share chemistry with even more people as well. And if you're lucky, we might read your review on a Q&R episode. Mm -hmm. um, But it really does help us and helps to get the word out. 
And also, this episode of Chemistry for Your Life is created by Melissa Collini and Jam Robinson. Jam Robinson is our producer, but it's really made possible by our financial supporters over on Patreon. It means so, so, so much to us that that community wants to help make chemistry accessible to even more people. And those supporters are Latila S., our newest supporter, who we met at a coffee hour this week. That mm-hmm. was really nice. Bree M., Avishai B., Brian K., Chris and Claire S., Chelsea B., Derek L., Emerson W., Hunter R., Jacob T., Christina G., Karina, <laughs> Katrina H., Lynn S., Melissa P., Nicole C., Nellie S., Stephen B., Shadow, Suzanne P., Timothy P., and Venus R. Thank you all again for everything that you do to make Chemistry for Your Life happen. And we'd also like to give an extra special thanks to Bree, who often creates illustrations to go along with our episodes of Chemistry for Your Life that you can see on our YouTube channel. And you can thank Bree and support her by going to her website at entropic.artstation.com and the O in entropic is a zero. We've got a link in our show notes or following her on Twitter at McAllister Bree. And if you'd like to learn more about today's chemistry lesson, you can check out the references that we've talked about in this episode on our show notes or in the description of the video. Yay, chemistry! Yay, chemistry! Mm-hmm.